0: Hi, I'm Peter Schwing, and welcome to the Stories from the Run podcast and community. This is the show for the everyday runner, all about inspiring and sometimes humorous stories from your fellow runners. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to thank all our supporters for making this podcast possible. If you like what you hear, please slam that subscribe button or sign up on our website, storiesfromtherun.com. You can also join the Facebook community or follow us on Instagram through the links in the show notes. First and foremost, I hope everyone is staying healthy, safe, and sound. As many of us are still out there practicing safe running and wearing masks, our next guest opted to run a marathon inside his apartment from his bedroom to the kitchen to help raise money for the Bowery Mission. It's a great cause by a true warrior. We're going to call this one hashtag quarantine running, hashtag Bowery Mission. Let's get to it. State your name and any club affiliation for the record, please.
1: Yeah, my name's uh, Todd Adelot, and uh, I'm a historical Ultra Runner. Todd, how are you? Doing awesome, Peter. Thank you so much for having me on
0: uh, Stories from the Rock. Glad to have you on here. So normally, I when I record these, I always ask, "How was your week?" And I always ask if you are, what are you training for? And right now, with while we're still in quarantine we might not be training for anything right now because we don't know, unfortunately, when anything's gonna open back up. But I am gonna ask you, how was your week? Because there's something that we're gonna talk about later that was really impressive and amazing that you did. But, you know, first and foremost, how are you holding up through all this?
1: You know, I've, um, you know, the quarantine, I think, been hard on everyone uh, collectively. As a society for runners, it's posed all sorts of challenges. And, um, for me, I was able to, uh, really kind of break through the, the, the cycle of not running because for four weeks I didn't run at all. And, uh, I don't have a treadmill in the home, in the apartment here in NYC. So I actually started running Peter in the apartment, just as you've seen all of these maniacs all, <laughs> all over well, the social media doing these incredible, impressive runs in their backyards and porches. So I started doing that in my home and it really helped help me break out to be honest.
0: Was it that guy in France did a marathon on his balcony or something like
1: that? Yeah, there was there's there several I think there's a couple porch balcony types, lots of backyards, um, you know, but it's it's a real statement of both the reality of how we're living right now and also the creativity and love for running that exists in the running community that you will find a way to do it. When you're really denied it. And I think, in some ways, oddly, my apartment running, which is a, a route from the foot of my bed uh, to my refrigerator and back, 108 feet, I found it repeated over a thousand times or so, <laughs> uh, 1,284. Uh, to be kind of rebirthing my running in
0: a way <laughs> that's the little back and forth and uh you know I always like to say nothing spark uh, gets this uh, sparks the synapses like a good challenge yeah. Yeah. So let's go way back in time for a little bit. I've known you as an ultra runner. Like, how long have you been running? And is it something like, you know, back in high school, you were a runner or were you into sports, athletic, anything like that?
1: Yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, I was a kid. I was deep into sports, all kinds of sports. Um, you know, running was, I was on the track team. Uh, running was always something I was really good at. I was particularly good at soccer, though. That was my main sport when I was a like, a young kid. Um, But as I got older, I think, you know, the running became certainly after graduate school, the running became a bigger part of my life. There was a big gap as I suffered from some pretty bad knee surgeries from extensive running and then really came back very, very seriously about five years ago and then moved into uh, endurance training, ultra running real seriously about three years ago when I started kind of what I call historical ultra-running.
0: What was your first ultra-marathon?
1: My, yeah, my, the first one, so I think it was about almost, was it four, four years ago now, coming up this fall, but it was the Stone Cat 50 uh, out in Ipswich, Massachusetts. And uh, Peter, it was just, uh, <laughs> it was such a... Uh, I knew nothing about ultra running at that time. And it was such a poor decision because if you know at all about that run, it's very rocky, kind of just lots of little up and downs and lots of knotty, gnarly things uh, that really twist and roll the ankles. Uh, so you really kind of need to be a trail runner. And uh, I just reasoned on that first ultra that if I just doubled the required training volume, uh, that despite the fact that I wasn't training to terrain, I'd be just fine. (laughs) It was just, it was a nightmare. The race was a nightmare. What I love
0: about ultra runners is everybody has the story of like, I wasn't prepared or it was a good idea at the time or this, I just showed up and I had no idea what I was getting myself into. It is a completely different mindset for ultra running.
1: Oh yeah. It was just, you know, my attitude was okay. They're saying, I'm, you know, run seven to 10 each day and then, you know, double 20s on Saturday, Sunday to train. And I was like, fine, you know, I'll run 15 a day and double 30s, double 40s, I swear. <laughs> this is, and I'm going to do it all on the street. And because I've doubled the mileage, I'm going to be just fine. So just 10 miles into the stone cat. My legs just felt like someone was pressing glass into them. Every muscle, it was just crazy. You know, The whole thing was just a nightmare of running through pain. I was the second to the last person to finish before they shut it all down, cut off. So, hey, you so. made it in. You, <laughs> I made it in. You made it in under the wire. <laughs> no, but that was a bad start. Let's put it that way
0: we all have a bad start or a bad race or at some point. So you consider yourself a historical ultra runner. And I I know I've seen some of your runs on Instagram and people, you should follow Todd's story on Instagram. I'll put his Instagram account in the show notes, but what do you mean by historical ultra runner?
1: Well, I, you know, I became, um, very caught up in the, kind of the romance and the mythology around ultra running of the wide open spaces, the canyons, the, the idea of running over mountains and through sacred, sacred spaces. And I became very caught up in runners like Tommy, Tommy Rivers Pusey and others who seemingly can fall into nature and connect through the body into these really unique physical spaces through ultra running. I got very attached to that, and yet I live in New York City. And doing that and achieving that in the middle of this urban jungle is just about impossible. You have to really add in hours of driving, and 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 when ultra running is already requiring 12, 15 hours away from my wife and son, you know, adding mile, car mileage onto it just doesn't make any sense. So, I, initially, I became frustrated that I couldn't do that and become part of that, and I'm deeply interested in history, deeply interested in New York City history. So then I started kind of swapping out the physical uh, world with um, a historical lattice, if you will. And now I set off on these really big runs, uh, you know, like to trace the Son of Sam killings, uh, the Berkowitz crimes, or to trace Teddy Roosevelt, uh, the history of Nikola Tesla in New York, and I'll run that. 70 miles out to his lab in Long Island, things like that. Um, and so it's just replacing that kind of uh, physical world around you with a historical one. So it, it seemed really the same effect, which is to lose yourself in a running experience.
0: You did one uh, that was the French connection as well.
1: Yeah, definitely. That was. Uh, you ran the car oh. chase scene? Yeah, totally. I actually have a video on the Instagram of me running. Uh, underneath where that famous car chase took place. But yes, but that history, that story is, of course, the movie, the, the incredible movie, um, is based upon a really important historical bust, one of the greatest um, achievements of the New York City Police Department in history, the, the takedown of uh, over 112 pounds of mm-hmm. raw heroin by Sonny Grosso and Eddie Egan. This was in the 60s and um, there's all these spots in new york that both from the movie and the history and so i strung them together think that was a 42 mile.
0: Yeah, and one thing that's really a, a historical point about that movie in that car chase scene is they did not have the permits. They just <laughs> filmed that rogue, didn't close any streets, and there's an accident. They hit the car, pulls out, and they hit a car. That's a real, that that really happened. That wasn't a stunt person in the other car. That was a real person in that car, not knowing that there was being a movie being filmed.
1: Yeah, no, you're dead on. I think that's one of the frames in my in, on, in my post on that run is the actual image freeze frame of the car. <laughs> but yeah, they, they had no permits, and they ran one of the most daring and brilliantly driven st- stunt scenes in history, mm-hmm. straight down New York City streets with people going to w- to work in the morning. <laughs> And and I think the way the story goes is that they had asked the NYPD for help in shutting down some streets, and there was a major gap, and this is one of those gaps.
0: Yeah, I think that chase scene only rivals Steve McQueen and Bullet.
1: Oh, definitely. Yeah, those are the two good ones, for sure.
0: So, so Todd, we uh we always like to talk about best and worst races and what we've learned. And I, I know you mentioned that your your first one, but in your historical ultra running, is there one that has been particularly extra challenging for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's 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 one, and it's it's the only historical ultra run that I uh, DNF'd on. And that was the 90 mile Howl ultra run that I took on uh, December 16th. Now, after collaborating with Allen Ginsberg's um, estate and and his huge following on, on social media, I was so kind that uh, the, the people there were so kind to, to actually take me in and um, Trusted me to take on this huge run, where I would, um, you know, take on the entire history of Allen Ginsberg in in uh, New Jersey and New York City over one massive run. But um, I sat down at forty two miles in the middle of December sixteenth. was one of the biggest nor'easters of the year, mm-hmm. and I made a really poor, poor decision uh, that I do regret. But it was—it's a lesson learned. Um, You know, I've had this – Peter, I've had this kind of um, inner philosophy that's guided me through three years of of these super long-distance runs, and that is I never, ever cancel the run no matter what the weather Mm -hmm. and no matter what it's going to be. When I commit to it being like Friday and Saturday and Sunday – Come what may, whatever that weather is, blizzard or rain, I'm going to run it. And I've been successful at doing that for three years. And and I do that in training, too. Like if I'm going to be training at five after work, at five after work, I don't care what it is. Um, and it's really valuable for a runner to approach running like that, because first it makes it really interesting to train in a variety of conditions. Um, but more to the point, it prepares you for when you are out there on those long runs and the weather does change, you know how to deal with it.
0: Right. Um, I always like to say, don't skip rain day in your training.
1: Yeah. yeah. You, you it's can't. Really valuable, And some of those runs become really fun too, to be honest, in a weird way, but they do. Um, And on this particular case, so I've just been really kind of like proud and almost arrogant about the fact that over three years, even if it's a blizzard, if it's like, you know, one of these terrible bomb cyclones in the winter, I will just go anyway. And I've always been able to do even really long distance runs like that. Um, And in this case, there was this huge storm forecast, ice and rain at 35 degrees. And I arrogantly didn't cancel. And then I made it... um, I'd say about 35 miles and it was clearly getting, it was raining, it was freezing uh, in New Jersey and I was getting hypothermic and then um, I just had a really intense, weird kind of quasi terrifying moment in the run. So it was, uh, I think, I don't know, did I tell you about the deer, Peter? I don't know. No, you didn't. You didn't tell me about the deer. So get this. So I was like really suffering. I mean, I really was. I mean, it was like pouring. It was like the worst rain you could ever want as a runner, like hard and cold. And there were even some cars like sliding. I could see them sliding on the road. I was kind of off the side. I was on what was a tiny shoulder. I ended up on this terrible road in New Jersey. I had made a wrong turn. I had a very small shoulder. So it was dangerous And there were cars slipping around, and I was very worried. I was filled with fear. And I was really getting consumed with fear, and I was really very, very cold. And um, every time a car would come, I was so worried they were going to go off the road and hit me. I would jump off the road into the brush. And it was just like three-foot-high weeds, basically, along the shoulder, and then there was a guardrail there. But So I I would do this every time a car comes, and a car's coming, and I did this – And there was this deer just, just hit. I mean, its head was smashed open. It was so graphic, Peter. And my foot was literally headed toward it. Like I was stepping through the weeds and I'm like, oh my gosh, in my mind, I see a deer flash like a photograph. And I like stumbled beyond it because I didn't want to step onto this Mm -hmm. deer. Um, And so I fell and I'm like all muddy and like a wreck. And then I like keep running. And now my mind starts, and I go back down the road, that my mind starts like eating away at me. I'm, I, I am convinced it's a momentum more. I'm convinced it's a reminder of death. I'm, I'm convinced I'm like, is this what happens right before I die?
0: Yeah, that's a sign. That's trying to yeah, tell you something.
1: And so I ran down the side of this highway, I'm telling you, Peter, for about two more miles in a state of like wound up fear. And wondering what this all meant, and so I, I get to a gas station, and then I, I call my wife, and I pull out, and it was the first time, and I I, I took a lift all the way home from way out uh, <laughs> in New Jersey. It was really weird, though.
0: That's a smart move at that time.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it was. It was. I don't think I could have made it, but that that. So Peter, what I was telling you in recent weeks over emails and notes is. That experience of that run, the how Alter Run, I mean, the Ginsburg community was very supportive. The Ginsburg community responded on social saying, this is very poetic. That is very Allen Ginsberg. <laughs> you, you don't understand how perfect this is. You know, this isn't a failure. This is Allen. This is his spirit. And I agree with all that. And I'm going to finish this run. I mean, it's going to happen. It's, I'm going to achieve it. But I, I just have to get back into that kind of shape right
0: now. Yeah. And, you know, that's something that let us know when you go do that. And, you know, we'll, we'll round up some, some troops and, uh, you know, do some, uh, pickups with (laughs) you.
1: Well, thanks so much, Peter. I appreciate
0: that. So let's flip the switch and let's go to a race that you're more proud of a race that was the most fun or one of your best races.
1: I think I know which one this might be. Well, so the, the one I worked on, so there's there's two important races. There's obviously the one I just did, which we'll come back to later, because I definitely want to chat with you about the Bowery Mission. But I'll come back to that. Um, but the race I really want to talk about, it's the Warriors Ultra Run.
0: Warriors come out right. to play.
1: And so proud to have you, uh, Peter, and thank you for your efforts on our steering committee. Yeah, I'm honored so, to be part uh, of it. It's really awesome, man. It's, uh, it's really important that people like you, who are super awesome ultra runners and are fans of the film, uh, kind of steward the development of this race. Because it, 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 it deserves special care, because it's uniquely awesome.
0: And what what I can say is that was probably one of the most fun races I ever did. Let's stage the scene here. It's based on the movie, the 1970s movie, The Warriors, which is all the gangs of New York all get together. Somebody's shot. They're going out and they blame it on the Warriors gang. And the Warriors are originally from Coney Island. So everybody starts up in Van Cortland Park in the Conclave at one in the morning. That's when the... Um, That's when everything took place. That was the starting point, the, the gathering of the gangs. Now the warriors are being chased and they have to get all the way to Coney Island. And you have all these other gangs chasing after them, the baseball furies, the, you know, the on and on. And this run was built on the spirit of that, that started at 1 a.m. in Van Cortlandt Park in the dark. And I think it was most appropriate that the weather, it the temperature dropped, and the entire field going into the woods was all like a low-hanging fog and a mist. It was so
1: eerie at that moment. Yeah, it was. Uh, and you were part of the original pioneers, Peter, because there were only about... Thirty of us at that original Warriors all to run, but yeah, it was a total scream. And for those, you know, if you're for those not familiar, the, 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 what the movie traces is the gangs in the in the movie. The gang is framed for a murder they did not commit. The, the gang called the Warriors, and they then have to flee from the South Bronx all the way to their home turf on the beaches in Coney Island. And we recreate that. Run in the middle of the night, fleeing through the streets of New York. And in the original, in the original one that I had put on, we held a conclave in the middle of the night, one in the morning, in Van Cortlandt Park. And then everyone took off mm-hmm. and uh, down through the Bronx. And when you're running through the Bronx in the middle of the night at, at one in the morning in the dead of summer, it's like a carnival. It's mm-hmm. the streets are are alive and it's magical and the music's pumping. And, uh, and then you just go all the way through Times Square and down through the Bowery, and then you finish at dawn as it happens in the movie on the beaches in Coney Island. And along the way, you run through two subway stations, <laughs> which is uh, – I think a lot of – was it your favorite? What was your favorite moment yourself, Peter?
0: Well, I wouldn't say it was my favorite moment, but it was one of the more absurd moments was going (laughs) through Times Square. Because we got to Times Square, uh, my gang, quote unquote gang, got to Times Square probably around like three, almost four in the morning. And it was still like it was still a circus. There was still thousands of people out bustling around. It's like, it's I'm like, twirl. it's four o'clock in the morning. Uh, I, I really, I did really enjoy going in the Bronx because we went up night, uh, park. And so running along the water and it was just peaceful. You just hear, you just get lost in your footsteps. And I think coming into, uh, probably around union square, running through the union square subway station, that was a lot of fun. And I think it wasn't like a particular area, but it was probably around after mile 25 or something where in Brooklyn, we went past the cemeteries and there was this long hill, it's like just a two miles of hill or something like that. And you're kind of toasted by then you're a little like. Like what, what's going on? And the sun starts to come up. Like you get the dawn and it just revitalizes you. And you start now seeing people waking up and like walking their dogs, going to get breakfast. And we're like, we just, we've been running for like since one o'clock in the morning. And now people are waking up.
1: Yeah. It's, there's so many special experiences. I, you know, I ran that whole thing alone because I left, you know, I ran the conclave where I, you know, reenacted kind of the opening scene of the film, which was a, a lot of fun, mm-hmm. and kind of set the tone. And we piped in uh, the actual audio from the conclave. It was just a riot. But um after that, uh, you know, I had to help just a little bit get my wife and son out of <laughs> there safely, out of the yeah. at least point them in the right direction. Mm-hmm. They ended up getting turned around and, and getting lost anyway. But um so I left behind everybody else. And um, you know, you can see it on the website, Peter. There's The website is thewarriorsultra.com. But you can see in the movie we put together about the race, you can see what happens to me as I reach the 96 subway. I, I run into the police. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was hilarious because I, I truly don't know if it's illegal or not <laughs> to run in the subway. <laughs> and I don't know. I always joke to people that I, I, I always run for subways when I'm late to work. Yeah, something. exactly.
0: I mean, <laughs> and, and if you see the cops just run faster, I think that was in the, that was in the FAQ. If you see cops run faster.
1: <laughs> but I, I ran, I was running to the 96th subway station. The police were there and they saw me and, you know, the guy just kind of looks at me and they nod at me and I, just kept running right by him out the other side of the subway. And you're wearing a
0: warrior's vest because and that was the other thing. We were, we all dressed members. up. Yeah, we all dressed up.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, so, I mean, that it, that's my favorite run. I mean, and it's important, you know, that. I always tell people there was a lot of press about that. We already have, even in the pandemic, we already have 40 people registered for this right now. So we're going to probably if we keep it and that's a big question you know right now it's booked for july 25th and it's not canceled right now um at this point in time the race is still scheduled and we're taking it day every day um we're watching the situation and seeing how it evolves but a lot of people have already canceled their summer races we haven't yeah we're gonna keep we're gonna keep watching this you know a lot of how do you, you know, it it goes many different ways. I don't know how you feel about it all, Peter. It's a a complex issue that's ripping through the running community. What to do with the races.
0: Yeah. And you and I, before we were recording, we were talking about this. It's like, there's no book pandemic for dummies. There's no playbook. There's no precedent there. So we're all kind of winging it in a sense. And the only thing we can do is to say, you know, what, what is the recommendations, what's the city, what is allowed to do. And then even if it is open, if they say, okay, you can have get togethers, then it comes to that. Well, are people still going to be safe? We want to make sure that everybody there is safety involved. No matter, you know, if, if it goes on, it's like whatever the recommendations of the city are. And, you know, we also, we we know a lot of us know who's running. So it also turns into, Hey, how do you feel about this?
1: yeah how do you feel about it? and you know, the other question i'm asking myself as the race organizer is you know um by july twenty fifth have we learned to run in this environment more i, I don't
0: really. know I, I don't even know if I can run that far at this point in <laughs> life
1: <laughs> I um, you know I'm watching more and my more of my running friends running outside now with bandanas and such mm-hmm. and coverings I'm watching it more and more in I'm watching that, too. So, um, you know, we're just going to have to keep our head. I, I, people email me uh, almost every day. You know, I get a note from people.
0: The one thing that it does have going for it is it starts at one in the morning. So it is definitely off hours.
1: It, off hours. Yeah. So, yeah, we have, we have a lot to decide, but we haven't canceled it yet. And I'm glad we haven't. And I'm glad we're being uh, thoughtful about it because we will be. So. Exactly.
0: So Todd, there's something fantastic that you did this past week. And that's when I was saying, Hey, you know something, let me ask you how your week is. I want to talk about this. Now I've followed you on Facebook and what you did this week was absolutely mind blowing. And we we touched upon it earlier with people running, uh, doing marathons on their balconies. And you did a marathon in your apartment, but not just for the sake of running a marathon in your apartment. This was for a good cause to raise money for the Bowery mission. So first, like what ignited this idea?
1: Yeah, well, thanks so much for asking. Um so I'm a very committed Christian and um I'm Catholic. And I um I'm just always been very, very involved in my faith and have had a real, um, passion, a particular passion for wherever faith, uh, kind of ignites into like really hands-on charity and care and concern that's across all faith traditions. I've just always been interested whenever someone kind of meets poverty, um, and meets people, like who are really, really uniquely down in life and then serves them and tries to lift them up. So those figures from Mother Teresa on down, just all those kinds of figures in history. And here in New York, we have the Bowery Mission. And so for 140 years, the mission has really been on the front lines of family poverty and homelessness and and hunger in New York. And they're a Christian mission, and they're very authentic. Um, they're just a wonderful people there, just real Saints, truly, these people, and they they do an extraordinary, and have done. So the mission has many of those photographs you see you see from the Great Depression of the long lines of people waiting for food. That's the Bowery Mission many times, and then here in New York, the mission does so much, uh, serving uh, those experiencing homelessness, poverty, hunger, and what's happening right now. And I volunteer there, my son does, my wife does. And, and what's happening at the mission right now is, is just an extraordinary thing that's going on. As the volume of those experiencing homelessness just explodes. Uh, they're just getting more and more moms and dads with kids in that line in front of their Bowery mission now. And you're seeing the pictures on TV. And so I ran um, this particular indoor marathon in my apartment to to Just make some sort of difference for them in any way, and uh, you know, raise some money. Raise like I think just between four and five thousand dollars now. It's still coming in, and there's a link. And there's a link. um, You'll post a link, I know, afterwards, and thank you of where people can can find that fundraiser. But um, yeah, and and you know, this was an extraordinary experience, Peter, because I was able to during the, the live cast, which is still. You can see the replay on my Facebook page. But I use that, that time to talk about the history of the mission. So I would run a couple laps, a couple laps. I'd run like 100 laps in my apartment, and then I'd talk about the history of the mission at various points in its history and things like that to just draw attention to, to, to the incredible work that they're doing uh, then and now.
0: And that that's so wonderful. And I was tuning in, and I know there were many different Facebook live streams. I don't know if they were timing out, like Facebook only allows a certain amount of time—four hours, four hours. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so it's difficult to run a marathon in your apartment inside of four hours. But I, I did love the fact that like your wife was uh, yelling out to you when people would comment, and you would like say, "Tell them twenty laps to go," and she would post a comment, 20 laps to go," and then you would stop and everything. So what what was the distance? I know you. you You skimmed over it really quick, but what was the distance between the two rooms?
1: So uh, from the foot of my bed to to down the hall, into the kitchen, to the refrigerator and back, is exactly 108 feet.
0: So then how many laps is that?
1: So it requires 1,284 of those laps to make a full marathon. So, um, you know, it and I have to tell you, Peter, it's a whole... Different kind of running. I mean, it really is. You're you're doing that like a little shuffle. So my pace, my pace, it's forty to do forty nine laps in my apartment. My pace is about twenty eight minutes on that, <laughs> <laughs> and that's a mile. That's it's so it's like a twenty eight. So it was eleven point five hours for me to run the wow. full distance.
0: Yeah. yeah, I noticed you weren't wearing like a Garmin watch or anything, so I, I don't think it was on Strava. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I experimented with all those things and none of them will work. When you're running in circles like that, it just confuses your GPS and it, 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 it has a complete meltdown at some point.
0: I don't know. I've had races where my GPS looked like you just ran 108 feet back and forth sometimes in the mountains.
1: Yeah, but I had to hand count these laps. So what I did, Pierre, is I set up a, a laptop on my bed. And I, I put a, uh, on the desktop, I mounted a tally counter so that every time it just big number on the laptop, every time I hit, got into the bedroom, I tapped the space bar and it would add a lap. And so I I had to hand count them.
0: Wow. So it was 11 and a half hours. And how did you feel the next day or like two days later? Because this is a different type of running.
1: (laughs) It was the most sore I've ever been. Swear to God. I, I'm, I was way more sore on this than I would be on 50, 70 miles, way more sore. No comparison. I mean, I was in agony uh, in the days after this. But that's because you're stopping, you're twisting, you're turning, you're accelerating. You're. I mean, it's very easy to get hurt, I think, when you're doing something like that. So I'm glad I didn't.
0: Yeah. It's a good thing that you only, you can go only slow because if you started going faster and each time, yeah, you're going to twist something, you're going to sprain something, something's going to snap on one of those turns as you get more and more tired. Yet we'll go through the, we'll go through the mountains at mile 30 and we're like, yeah, let's take on these rocks. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So again, so what was the website? I'm going to put in the show notes, but so people can hear it. What, what is the website that they can check out for the donation?
1: Uh, the, the it, it's my Bowery mission fundraiser page and I can, and I can send you a link to put up right after.
0: Okay. So, yeah. So, and people also, uh, Google Bowery mission just to find out more, uh, yep. and how, and donations will be open, uh, accepted for, for at there... least,
1: yeah, for at least the next month. I think All right. actually they, they're going to leave it up there. Fantastic.
0: Todd, this is amazing. And I was so impressed. I I was, I was doing work and I just had you up on one of my computer screens and I was just checking in every now and then throwing some hearts saying, go Todd, go. Well,
1: thank you for your support. Seriously. I mean, it It was awesome. I saw your name and it was awesome to have you
0: watch. Peter. And then somebody was walking around. I'm like, look out. Somebody's behind you. Don't let them pass you. (laughs) (laughs) Finish strong. (laughs) (laughs) So Todd, then any parting words for our listeners?
1: I mean, I guess, the, um, I guess the biggest parting words I would offer here, Peter, is that if you live in New York City, you have a tapestry of places you can run to and connect to during running that are fully urban and not out in nature that um, can really drive and inspire your, your running in different ways. So I encourage people to kind of leverage the city that's around them in um, their running because I think it's a really meaningful way to approach it all.
0: Todd, that is fantastic. Thank you so much. And, you know, watching you and uh, I'm I'm so happy to know you, to have a person like you in my life and, you know, thank you for all that you've done and the inspiration that you've given to many. So wonderful. Let's hope this abates soon so we can get out there and
1: <laughs> yeah, have some human physical like
0: again. contact and we can go running and, and the Warriors we run have will to happen. Do that,
1: dude. We have to do that. And thanks for having me on your super cool stories from the run podcast,
0: mm-hmm. dude. I appreciate I really, that. I
1: really appreciate you having me
0: here. All right. Uh, thank you so much. So you have a wonderful day and we will talk soon.
1: All right. right, Cheers. Bye-bye.
0: That's it for this week. Thank you for tuning in. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button and feel free to share with your fellow runners. If you'd like to be a guest on our program, you can apply on our website, storiesfromtherun.com, because every runner has a story we'd like to hear yours. Until next time, may the rain stay in
1: Spain and the wind be at your backs. Peace.